Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning again. My name is Matt. I'm a pastor here um, at the church. So we've been in a series this summer where we've started um, each message with a top 10 list. And so I have a top 10 list that is the most iconic TV couples. And so this is a list, I, I, I was thinking about this and I, I Googled it and there's a bunch of lists. This is the one that was my favorite. So I'm, this is my list, whether it's the actual top 10, I don't know, but it's my top 10. So um, and this is also um, a little quiz. So there's going to be 10 of them. See if you know them. So this first one, this first couple that comes up, do you know them? Who's that? Sam and Diane. Yeah, Sam and Diane from Cheers. Like I said, one of my favorite shows. Um, here's another one. This might be a little harder. Oh, there you go. TGIF, right? TGIF, Carl and, and Harriet Winslow. She would always go, oh, Carl. Like she kind of said it like that. I don't know if that's how she said it. But it's from Family Matters. Family Matters is the one with Urkel. You guys probably know Urkel. That's the show Urkel was in, so... Their Urkel, Urkel is their neighbor. Um, here's one. I think we know this one. Yes. Homer and Marge Simpson. And they have a great marriage. You know how you can tell? Because neither one of them is aged in like 30 years. So <laughs> stress-free marriage right there. Um, how about this one? I did not know this one. Yeah, it's from Good Times. Good Times. Do you know their, their names? Yeah, Florida's the wife and James. James and Florida from Good Times. I had this one. I didn't really know Good Times other than the guy, the dynamite. Like, that's how I know Good Times. So um, here's one. These aren't, they aren't married, but a couple. You guys know this one? Winnie and Kevin. Winnie and Kevin. They're from the Wonder Years, Winnie and Kevin. Um, this one's familiar. New one. Yeah. <laughs> Karis really likes Jim and Pam. Jim and Pam. Yeah. I think she's young enough that this is the only one she remembers. So, um, This one is an older one, but probably pretty familiar. Yeah, Mike and Carol Brady. Um, here's one, too, as well. A little older one. The Jeffersons. You know their first name? Yeah, George and, yeah, is it Louise? Is that what it is? Louise, yeah. So I would have, I would have put um, Archie and Edith Bunker on there. The Jeffersons, I didn't, it was a spinoff of the Bunker. They were the neighbors of um, Archie and Edith. Two more. Another pretty familiar one here. <clears throat> Ross and Rachel from Friends. I would have picked, if this were my actual list, I would have picked um, Chandler and Monica over Ross and Rachel. But just saying, just saying. And then, again, an older one, but I think a lot of us know this one. Do we know this one here? Yeah. Lucy and Ricky, right? Lucy and Ricky from I Love Lucy. And they are the only ones that in real life were married as well. I think the only ones on that list. I'm not exactly sure about um, Homer and Marge Simpson. They might be married in real life, but... So, we're, again, we're starting each... Um, message with a top 10 list because we are in a series called the top 10 and it's the study of the 10 
Commandments. And so I chose the top 10 couples um, this year because I like that. I like the fact that there were couples. And some of the couples were married couples. Some of them were just dating couples. Some of them were um, like remarried couples. Like um, Carol and Mike Brady were like a, a step family couple. But I like the fact that, that they were couples because couples are important to God. And we know this from chapter two in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. God gives Adam, he creates man, and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so because of that, he creates woman, which is Eve, to become a couple. And then later on in that same chapter, he says that it's not good for man to be, um, but he, the man should leave his wife or leave his mother and father and be connected to his wife. So he creates this couple, then he creates them to be married. And so that's, that's the couple. He, that's how God creates it. It's the building block of our society. He's saying, we got to have this couple. And so because of that building block, another thing that God creates or gives the married couple, Adam and Eve, is sex. He gives them sex. And how do we know this? It doesn't say that in the Bible, but it says, he says, hey, Adam and Eve, I've married you. So now be fruitful and multiply. And I don't know about you, but there's only one way that we are fruitful and multiply. And so I think that's, that's through intercourse, right? And so God gives the humans, he gives couples sexual intercourse for, for us to, to, to multiply, but he gives it to us. And so what happens is God says, okay, you're a married couple, be fruitful and multiply, and Adam and Eve, and they do this, and they do it well, and they're, they're obeying, and, and they're multiplying. Well, then somewhere along the line, okay, sexual intercourse, they, 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 they start to disobey God, and they start to have sexual intercourse with people outside of their marriage. And it doesn't really explain that and say that in the Bible, but we, we can assume that it's true because in the, in the commandments, in the 10th commandment, he gives one, it's from chapter 20, and it says, you shall not commit adultery. And so again, we don't know what generation started to break this covenant between a husband and a wife, but somewhere along the line, it happened, or else God wouldn't have put it in his 10 commandments. And so again, he says, don't commit adultery. Now, what is adultery? So adultery is sexual intercourse between a married person and someone other than that person's spouse. So you have Adam and Eve, we look at the very first couple, they're, they're married, so be fruitful and multiply. And again, along the line somewhere, married couples started having sexual relations outside of the marriage. And it's still something that happens today. I don't, um, it, it's not super common, I don't think, I, I tried to find some stats, it's kind of hard to find some of those, but somewhere between 10 and 20% um, is the stat that, that you kind of see in there that, that people that have committed the physical act of adultery, that is having intercourse with somebody outside of their, their husband or their wife. And so again, it's probably higher than it should be at 10 or 20%, but it's still not super, super duper high. And so if you're, you're, you're like me, you're going, okay, there's 80 to 90% of us by statistics in this room that are saying, okay, I can go to sleep during this message and I don't have to pay attention, right? Well, I got news for you. Jesus spoke on the matter. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, it's one of Jesus' most famous sermons, Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, he addresses adultery. And so I'll just read it from there. Jesus, chapter 5, verse 27, it says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And so Jesus is saying, okay, he's referring back to Exodus, the, the book, the law, saying, you've heard it said in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. But then here, watch this. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and lustful is like sexual desire, so anyone that looks at a woman with sexual desire has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so I don't know about for you, but for me, this message got pretty real all of a sudden. This message went from a pretty narrow, right? We're talking about physical adultery to, to pretty wide. I found some statistics on this. There was a survey and 97.35 of the people in this survey had had lustful thoughts. And so my first thought in this was the 2.65% I want to meet those 2.65% of the people that lied on the survey, right? <laughs> but even if they didn't lie, 97.35% is pretty high. And so again, it takes this topic. Jesus said, yeah, adultery, we're going to take it this way. And now anybody that's even thought about it, we've just broadened this. And it basically includes everybody. I think if you're like me, sometimes I think of of having um, sexual thoughts and lustful thoughts in my mind. You think of it as being men having those thoughts about women, and that is true. In the same survey, 98.8% of men had admitted to having lustful thoughts. But it doesn't end there as well. Women also can have these thoughts too. 95.9% .9 of women have had lustful thoughts. And so the reason I bring that up it's just like what Jesus did. He took this topic of adultery and say, okay, well, that's 10 to 20% of us. And we've just broadened it to essentially everybody. Essentially to everybody. And you might be saying, well, I'm not married. I'm not married, so I don't have to worry about committing adultery. I don't even have to worry about committing adultery in my mind because I'm not married. But if there's two things with that. The first one is when Jesus spoke in verse 28, when he said, he said, but I tell you that Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, anyone. He doesn't say any married person that looks at someone lustfully or any person that's not married that looks at a married person. He just says anyone that looks at somebody lustfully has committed adultery in their heart. And so again, I think that includes everybody. That includes married, unmarried, young, old, men, women. And so to, to look at some scriptures and to maybe broaden this even more, broaden this even more, in Hebrews 13, 4, it says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed, okay, now when it talks about marriage bed, if you look up the Greek of how they translated marriage bed, it's not the actual bed itself. Marriage bed is the act itself. Marriage bed is the verb, what happens in the marriage bed. That's how it's translated, and they translate to say the marriage bed. It's basically having intercourse, right? So marriage should be honored by all and sexual intercourse kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer, and then I like this part, well, I don't like this part, but it's in there, and the sexually immoral. 
And so he lumps those two together. So he takes adultery, the physical act of committing adultery, and he lumps that into the same category as sexual immorality. And so now if we look at that definition of sexual immorality, and here's how that translates in the Greek, it is this word, which is pornos, which I don't have to explain to you what word we get in our English language that comes from this Greek root, right? You can probably figure that out. But the definition is a fornicator or a man who prostitutes himself. And it's that word fornicator that really opened it up for me. Fornicator is, or fornication is sexual intercourse between two persons not married to each other. And so when we talk about, right, the, the, the commandment of adultery, and now if we lump in sexual immorality into it, it's basically talking about if you're having sex or you are even having sexual thoughts, and, you are not ma- or to, and you're not married, not to your spouse. It's everybody, right? That's why I share these stats, because this message, although we say, thou shalt not commit adultery, and we think it's so narrow, it is really not. This message is for all of us. It is for all of us, me included. If I would give you Matt's top 10, right, of Matt's top 10 sins or whatever, sexual immorality in my mind would probably be in my top three, if not my number one. It's something that I struggle with when we talk about if you have thought about a woman lustfully in your, in your mind, you've committed that. So to me, it's hard for me. It's hard for me. And so what I'm going to, we're going to talk about today, I'm just going to speak from my experience and how I battle this on a weekly, maybe even a daily basis. I'm hoping I can give you some things that will help you to, to defeat this, defeat this command. Because again, just by statistics, every one of us here has probably had a lustful thought at some time in their life. And so God wants to speak to us today. So I got a few things that we're going to write down. I'm going to pray first. Um, and then, yeah, we'll kind of dig right in. So God... We just come to you um, humbly and maybe even vulnerably today, God. We just open our hearts to you about what you have for us. <laughs> God, you know my thoughts in this, this topic and just the word adultery. You know how, I'd say, nervous that makes me. And so I, I, have, a, I have a feeling that it, just the words make everybody in this room nervous as well, or most people. But God, we want you to heal us from that word. And so just use me today to be your words. Open our hearts. And let us listen to you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we, I think we're on the same page where we've pretty much lumped everybody in here. And so now we've got these thoughts. I'm going to talk a lot about our thoughts. Okay, a lot about our thoughts today. And the word that, that, that comes to mind is temptation. When we have lustful thoughts, it's a temptation. We all get temp- tempted. And so we're going to look at that. And there's, a, there's a, a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that I just love when it talks about temptation. And that's what we're going to look at today. So it says this, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. 
And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Let me read that part again. He, God, will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's important for us to know. It says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. And so in the scripture, it doesn't say that we won't be tempted. We are going to be tempted. We're not tempted by God. We're tempted by the enemy. And God is saying, I'm going to let this happen, but I'm only going to let it go so far. I will not let you as a human being be tempted more than you can handle. But what I'm going to do instead, I'm going to be faithful to you, and I'm essentially going to give you a way out of your temptation. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to give you four things from my life where I think that when I, when I battle these temptations that maybe you can use to help us battle our way out of the temptation because God's saying, we, we have a way out. I'm giving you a way out. And so that's where, where we're going to start today. The first thing, this is on your handout that you can write in. It says, we can avoid sexual sin by putting up some guardrails. By putting up some guardrails. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything flows from it. So when we guard our hearts, when we guard the things that go into us, we guard ourselves, it's putting up guardrails. And it's, if you think of a guardrail, just like on a road, the guardrails are there for our protection, but we can drive within the guardrails, right? There's a road with sometimes multiple lanes between the guardrails, but it's saying, don't go outside. Once you cross over that guardrail, it's going to be pretty dangerous. That's why the guardrails are there. So we can put up guardrails in our life. Let me give you a couple examples. One is um, what we refer around here a lot of at the church is the Billy Graham rule. And some of you have heard of the Billy Graham rule. If you haven't, basically Billy Graham is, is he's passed for several years now, but he was a world famous um, evangelist. And he had a rule that said, I, as a married man, he was married. He would not ride alone in a car with somebody of the opposite sex. So he would not ride alone in a car with a female. And he just put that guardrail up and he said, I can live within the guardrails. If, there's, if it's me and another man, I can ride in there. If it's me and two females, it's that accountability there. We'll ride in the car together. But me alone with another female, I'm putting up these guardrails. And I'm going to ride and live my life within those guardrails. That, um, that Billy Graham rule, it kind of came up a few years ago and was kind of controversial because uh, Mike Pence, the former vice president, when he was vice president, had said that. He had kind of said, I'm following the Billy Graham rule. And he kind of got criticized for that. But don't let the world criticize you. Like, it's a, great, it's a guardrail. It's there for his protection. And so you think about, well, what's this guy? What's that do? Well, here's what it does. It, it, if I have lustful thoughts with someone, well, if I'm not alone with them, especially in a car, we say the car, it could be anywhere. We have the same rule here at the church. If we're here alone, we, we um, won't be in the room with another um, person of the opposite sex without somebody else being here. So it's, we, talk, we talk about the car, but if, you're, if, you, if I'm having lustful thoughts, if I'm not alone with that person or even somebody else, guess what? I can't act on it, right? I can't act on those thoughts. 
And so that's what the guardrail is. It's saying, hey, put up the guardrails, live within the guardrails, and so you don't act upon your thoughts. There could be um, some things like if you're, if, you're, if you're single now, you're saying, well, okay, well, I'm single, we get in a car. But there's some other things you can put in, in, um, in play. If you're dating, possibly you could say, we're not going to be in a house alone together. Or I've always heard this rule that like midnight was the cutoff line. You could put, give yourself a personal curfew. I always heard this saying that nothing good ever happens after midnight. And so I'd just be an example of a guardrail. Okay, we're putting that up. It's midnight. See you later. Set an alarm on your watch and you're out because nothing good ever happens. This is a guardrail. It's a guardrail. And so again, those are just examples from my life. But you have to think about where, do, where in your life do you need guardrails? And put them up. And again, you can live within those guardrails. God gave Adam and Eve guardrails in the garden. He said, go here, work the garden. Eat anything you want except from that tree. There's your guardrail. And we knew what happened to Adam and Eve. We knew what happened to the, to the world after they crossed the guardrail. It's not good. Put up guardrails and stay within your guardrails. So that's point one, putting up some guardrails. Point two, we can avoid sexual sin by declaring a covenant. Declaring a covenant. And the word covenant is a promise, especially between you and God. So you're saying, I am declaring a promise, God, that I won't do this. And you got to live by that. Right now I have a covenant. Um, has nothing to do with, with my sexual thoughts or any of that thing. It has to do with um, Mountain Dew and pop. I love Mountain Dew. I gave up pop. I made a covenant, a promise with God that in 2022, I would not drink a pop. So far, what is this, August 14th? I'm doing okay, but I'm not, I'm not kidding. You don't know how bad some days. I just want to take it and slam a Mountain Dew. It's hard, but, I, but it's a promise. It's a covenant that I made. And so we talk about declaring a covenant. We also talk about mostly declaring a covenant with your eyes. You can just say, I'm not doing this, or I'm not doing that. Here's a covenant that Job made. Job 31 says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. And so we can make those covenants. That's a really good one. We've made covenants. I've made a covenant. I know Pastor Clint's made a covenant saying, I am not going to look at another woman other than my wife naked. I'm just not going to do it. And that doesn't mean just in the flesh, right? There's TV shows now even, movies that have nudity in it. But we just make a covenant, a promise saying, I'm not going to watch that, that movie. And we have the, the Google and the World Wide Web where you can find out, and they have all kinds of websites that tell you which movies have that and which ones don't. Do that before you watch a movie. It could be in a, a book or a magazine that you see these things. Just make that covenant, especially with your eyes, that I am not going to, to look at that. Here's a covenant with my eyes for my, for my life. Um, I don't very often go to the beach. I do not like going to the beach. Um, there's three reasons. There's three S's why I don't like going to the beach. The first one is the sun. I'm not a big fan of the sun. I mean, I like the sun, but it brings hot. It bring, I'm, a, I'm a warm-blooded guy, and it's, yeah, it, it makes me hot. The second one, I don't go to the beach is because of the sand, because you put one foot on the beach, and then you go back in there sand in your car for a month, 
right? That's just the way it works, I guess. So I don't like sun. I don't like sand. Well, the third reason that I don't like going to the beach is because of skin. There's an awful lot of skin at the beach, and my eyes can look around. It's pretty easy if I put sunglasses on. I can look anywhere, and nobody really knows where I'm looking. It's a covenant that I've made. I'm not saying I'll never go to the beach, but I don't like going because my eyes can wander. They can look around. That's not good for me, and I know that. I made that covenant with my eyes. So that's the second thing is declare a covenant. And I would say, it could be a covenant with your eyes, but what does your covenant have to be? What do you have to make a promise to God and say, I'm just not going to do this? The third thing, we can avoid sexual sin by elevating our mind. Elevating our mind. So let me, let me explain this one a little bit. So elevating our mind is thinking about things kind of above right? And so naturally it could be, think about godly things. So when I have sexual sin or, or lustful thoughts in my mind, if I think about higher things, elevating my mind, it means I'm thinking about godly things. That may mean I'm going to scripture. And I'm just going to read that scripture. And I'm going to fill my mind with that scripture. Or maybe I'll listen to worship music. And I could fill my mind with that. I'm elevating to higher things. It could be... Um, watching like Christian videos, Christian movies. The, um, what's the one that, that's, that's out now that's fairly recent, that's really good? Um, the Chosen. Like watching that, like let that entertain you. Think about higher things. There's a scripture from Philippians 4, 8 that says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so we can elevate our mind. If I think about it, God is true, he's noble, he's right, he's pure, he's lovely, he's admirable, he's excellent, he's praiseworthy. So think about God. And so that's one way we can elevate our mind is, is to think about things that are, that are higher, more noble than our lustful thoughts. Think about those things. And so it can be godly things, but it doesn't always have to be. So here's an example, again, from my life. Two things. One, I'm a dreamer. My wife who's sitting here, she loves the fact that I'm a dreamer. I like to think about all these things and she just listens to me and lets me daydream and say, okay, yep, I have all these things, so I'm a dreamer. But then the other thing with me is I like certain things and so I, I really like golf, like playing golf. I love golf. And even more recently, I've gotten really into mini golf, like putt-putt golf, miniature golf. And so I will watch videos of these guys that just go around and they, they either rate these mini golf courses or they just play miniature golf and I watch them and, they, and it's fun and I look at the course. And so if I put those two together, like I will dream about my own personal, not maybe not personal, but my perfect mini golf course. And so I want to make this real for you. I really seriously think about this. So I'm going to tell you this. So here's what my miniature golf course would look like. It's going to be 36 holes. There's going to be 18 holes, which I would consider would be a, um, an old school golf course. That's going to be a course that would have like the windmills, you know, when you putt and the windmill goes and sometimes your ball hits the windmill and you're like, oh man, I can't get under the, the windmill. You know what I'm talking about? You guys have been to those kind of putt-putt courses. Oh, there's some where you hit it into like the castle 
and then it goes in there and it can come down like multiple different ways. It's just totally random, right? That's what 18 holes of my golf course are going to look like that. No, have a theme and whatever. And then I'm going to have another 18 holes. It's going to be 36 holes. I'm going to have another 18 holes where every hole you have a chance to get a hole in one. It's not just pure luck. Like if you bank it off the, the right wall, it can go in. There might be an obstacle in the way, but if you bank it just right, you can get a hole in one on every hole. And so you could realistically get an 18 for, for the whole 18 holes. That's what my ideal mini golf course would look like. And I bring that up to you because it's obviously something I've thought about, right? You think, well, well what, what does it have to do with anything? Here's the thing. My mind is going to wander. It's going to think about things. And so it's better for me that if I'm thinking about goofy things, like an 18-hole miniature golf course, than thinking lustful thoughts. And so when we elevate our minds, think about something other than sex. And mine just happened, this is just one of mine. This mini golf is obviously is not the only thing that my mind thinks about. And I think about all these other things. <laughs> but when I, when I answer to God, I have this feeling that God is going to say, I am so happy that you thought about dumb, goofy, miniature golf than what you would do with that woman. It's okay to be dumb and nerdy, guys. It is totally okay. And here's the other thing. God gives everybody an interest. Everybody in this room, everybody, well, there's almost 8 billion something now people in this world. Every person has at least one, probably hundreds of things that interest them other than sex. So think about those. Daydream about those. Go to God, right? Elevate your mind, go to God. But it's okay if you think about other stuff. Just don't let your mind go to the lustful thoughts. That's what I mean by elevating your mind. All right, one more. We can avoid sexual sin by running. By running. And if you look at me, you know I don't mean like jogging. <laughs> what I mean about this is running away. We can avoid sexual sin by, by running away from the situation. Here's 1 Corinthians 6.18. It says, flee from sexual immorality. All their sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. That second part is a whole other message in itself. But that first part, flee from sexual immorality. Run from sexual immorality. Run from it. Here's two examples from the Bible. One is Joseph. This is Joseph in the, the, the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I always say that because it's the, the name of the musical, right? So Joseph, we, we talked about him earlier in this series, but Joseph was, um, he went to Potiphar's wife and Potiphar's wife essentially came on to him, wanted to sleep with him, right? And so what did he do? He literally, literally ran. She grabbed him and he kind of got out of his coat and he ran, and then Potiphar's wife tried to set him up, right? And he ends up going to jail. But even when he's in jail, when he's in prison, 
He's still a pretty successful man. He becomes the head of the prison, and he's helping the guards. He is blessed even in tough situations. And I would argue that he is blessed because he ran from sexual immorality. He ran away from it. The other side of that in the Bible is King David. He did not run from sexual immorality. He gets up on the rooftop and he sees Bathsheba, who is not his wife. She's bathing. He essentially calls for her and and sleeps with her. He did not run away from that temptation. And then what happens to David? He spends what I would probably say years lamenting that. If you read Psalms, David wrote a lot of the Psalms. Some of the songs are anger, and you can just tell his lamenting. Again, for years and probably years, maybe even decades, where he's lamenting what he did because he did not run. And so, guys, when we have these thoughts, run. It is okay. Run. Part of running is running from your triggers, knowing what triggers you and staying away from it. So here's some examples. And again, you have to think about what your triggers are. But maybe there's, maybe there's a restaurant where there's a waiter or a waitress that make you have unpure thoughts, impure thoughts. And if that's the case, stay away from that restaurant. Don't go there because that's a trigger for you. Stay away from the triggers. Maybe alcohol is a trigger for you. I don't know if you've heard, there's been times where it's like, oh, like loose lips, like alcohol makes you have loose lips or whatever. And so you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, it's easier for me when I have a couple drinks to start flirting or whatever. If that's your trigger, if alcohol is your trigger, then stay away from it. Flee from it. For me, there's some, some songs. I haven't in a long time. I, I mostly listen to um, Christian music now, but in my past, I would listen to, to songs. Secular music, there's some songs, it may sound weird, but they would trigger me. Like there's songs out there that would have lyrics that, that have sexual innuendos. There are songs out there that have lyrics that aren't innuendos. They are just saying, do this or do that. And then it triggers me in my mind to have lustful thoughts. And so my answer if that's my trigger, is to flee from it and just listen to Christian music. It's much healthier for me to listen to Emma sing up here on Sunday morning than to listen to some other person talk about what he or she's going to do with their girlfriend or boyfriend. It's just healthier for me. Flee. Run from sexual immorality. So as I close... I'm not sure where you are in your life or what your past is is like. I don't know that. But I do know, no matter what it is, there's a brighter future. There's a brighter future. There's redemption. We have a God that gave us Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. And so through him, we can be redeemed of, of, even if if we've committed adultery in our life, we can be redeemed from that. Even if we've thought about lustful things in our heart, in our minds, we can be redeemed from that. There's a story in John chapter 8. It's the very first part of chapter 8. And it's um, 
The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they bring um, an adulterous woman, a woman caught in adultery, sleeping with somebody that was not her husband. They catch her in adultery and they say, hey, this woman's to be stoned to death. That's the law says we should stone her, we should kill her. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus thinks for a minute, he says, okay, well, here's the deal. The first one of you without any sin, throw the first stone. If, you're, if you have no sin, then throw a stone at her. And then he gets down and he starts like writing in the dirt. And one by one, the guys go away because they're all, they're, they're, they have sin too. So they're like, well, I, I can't do this. And so they go. Well, then Jesus gets up and he addresses the adulterous woman who is still there. And here's the response that he says to her. It says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. And so I'm going to pause there real quick and just say, I don't know what your past looks like, but Jesus will forgive you. Jesus will forgive you. If you have a repentant heart and you go and say, please forgive me, he will forgive you. So don't leave here thinking, oh man, I'm an adulterer. Not because of physically, but because of my thoughts. I, I don't know how you have redemption. Jesus forgave the adulterous woman. But then this last sentence, right? It's also very important. It says this. Jesus says, go now and leave your life of sin. So moving forward, guys, I gave you four things that we can do to flee from sexual immorality. But that's only four. There are, there are many, many more. Find what works in your life to flee from sexual immorality because Jesus says, hey, I'll forgive you, but you can't keep doing this. You can't keep doing it. Find something in your life that will take your mind away from lustful thoughts. Flee from sexual immorality. I'm going to call well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofvineyard.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.